Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 295 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, fall is here in earnest every time I talk to you guys. So many of you tell me fall is your favorite season. So wonder what your favorite season is. Mine is summer, actually, maybe because I'm Canadian and it's the warmest and I love sunshine and the water and boating and biking and all that stuff. But whatever you're doing, I hope this episode finds you enjoying yourself. And uh, our goal is to help you thrive in life and leadership, lead like never before. That's what we're trying to do, and that's why I'm so glad to have Rich Birch back. Rich has been a friend for many years, a co-worker in many respects as well. And I'm not sure anybody knows more about multi-site than he does, because he has lived it as an executive pastor or director of operations, helping three large churches launch campuses, perhaps more than any other leader in the church today. And so he's kind of like a walking encyclopedia. And today we've talked about church growth before. Uh, But today we're going to talk about all things multi-site, and there is a buzz about that multi-site has peaked. Some churches are shutting down campuses. Uh, Is that true? We're going to look into that. And for those of you in the business community, this has a lot to do with opening new locations. How do you know you're ready? Is that something that's going to continue in the future? Are people looking for more boutique, original solutions? Also, in the church world, we ask the question, does video actually work? What about all those critics who say it doesn't? And a whole lot more. So it's going to be a fascinating episode. Plus, Ask Carrie is now in effect. I take one listener question. We're taking Chris's, who wants to know about attendance goals. How do you break 200? It's something 85% of churches never do. And most businesses never break a million dollars in revenue. So I'm going to answer that at the end of the podcast, if you listen all the way through. And I hope you do. It's going to be a great episode today. Now, Your church website, speaking of growth, and your business website can make you or break you. And that's why I'm really excited to share with you that ProMedia Fire, who a lot of you know and a lot of you use, are starting this fall the ProWebFire service. This is how it works. ProWebFire team builds you a custom website now. You get a monthly plan and you get a new website every three years with that because you got to keep updating You get also weekly updates to your site, digital strategy sessions, and they manage Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube campaigns for you. Pricing plan is simple. Everything's included, even a new custom website every three years. So this month, in October, listeners of this podcast get a launch special of up to 30% off for life depending on the plan. It's no upfront website development fee. You're not hiring staff. Up to 30% off for life on the plans only till October 31st. How do you get it? You got to go here. Go to prowebfire.com forward slash carry. That's prowebfire.com forward slash carry. Another thing a lot of faith-based or not-for-profit organizations are doing is getting ready for the 2020 budget. And what about your health care? Listeners of this podcast have already plowed $625,000 worth of savings back into their ministries. Yeah, because what happens is sometimes, you know, you offer benefits, they're not great, but they're really expensive. That's where Remodel Health comes in. And what they do is they use technology to get customized plans for all of your staff. So whether you have three staff or 30 staff or 300 staff, they'll go through it with you step-by-step, employee-by-employee, and create custom plans that usually result in two things. Number one, lower cost savings or lower cost for the church. And number two, 
better benefits or at least the same benefits for your team. So everybody's happy. You save money, your team does as well or often better. And so far, they have helped nonprofits across America save $7.2 million that they can plow right back into their budget. So interested? Here's what you can do. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. You can learn more and there download their health insurance buyer's guide. So go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry and you can download their health insurance buyer's guide. So guys, I am so excited to bring you a in-person conversation with Rich Birch as we talk about things. And if you listen uh, toward the end of the interview, he's got some free bonuses for you. And then I've got Ask Carrie at the end of this podcast. So here we go. My conversation with Rich Birch. Well, I am super excited to be here again with Rich Birch. Rich, welcome back. Gary, so glad to be back on your show. I love the podcast. I love how you're helping so many leaders in so many different contexts. So glad to be here today. Well, listen, it's good we're meeting at World Headquarters once again. <laughs> Carrie Newhoff Enterprises International. You were almost a decade in the U.S. and now you're back in Canada. So we live 10 minutes from each other's yeah. house. So glad to be in the same neighborhood. <laughs> and we're here in the basement, World yes. Headquarters. That's <laughs> good. My it's podcast nice studio. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We do, we do our best. But, I, you know, Rich, it's funny because you and I talk all the time. But I, I think for leaders, there's very few people with your pedigree. And it wasn't on purpose, but you've mm-hmm. worked at... Three multi-site churches. So for those of you listening from a business context, what is a multi-site church? Yeah, so a multi-site church is one church that has expressed itself in multiple locations. Uh, The vast majority, and there's some of them we'll get into, the vast majority of them have less than three, but you know, some have up to a dozen or maybe two dozen different physical locations. Uh, They generally are having, you know, a a common leadership structure. They have a common kind of approach to programming. Uh, So really it's, it's in some ways like a franchise or, or like a company store where you've opened up a couple different locations. Right. So kind of uh, at the, at the far end, Starbucks or McDonald's or something like that. Right. But not really. Yeah. It's actually, they're closer to like a, uh, you know, a family business, I would say where they've got four or five locations all across one geographical area. That's probably closer to a local chain of restaurants. Yeah, local chain of restaurants. You know, we have a mutual friend who works in like a lumber yard and they have like three or four different locations close to us. It's that kind of thing is probably more typical. Although obviously the extreme examples, and there are a few of those that cross state lines that go across the entire country. I like Life Churches. Life Church is one of those. 30 campuses? Yeah, I've lost track. (laughs) But yeah, they're in that range. Every time I talk to Craig, it's like more. Yeah, exactly. They just keep sprouting up. All right. So that's sort of the framework. And and tell us about your unique background. Like- Yeah, you know, I always feel a little bit self-conscious, probably because I'm Canadian, uh, talking about, you know, my experience. But I, I do think that I have a unique kind of angle on this multi-site thing. And and there may be someone that has more experience out there, but I just haven't bumped into them. So I've been a part of 13 different launches. I was in the driver's seat of 13 different launches. The, the part of that that I'm the proudest of is over those 13 launches, we, uh, we, we mobilized about 1,500 volunteers. And today, all of those campuses together account for about 9,000 people in attendance, which is amazing to me. And those three churches have gone on and launched a bunch of more churches. And so actually now they they total up close to 30 campuses. So so I've been kind of at the, the hub of the multi-site movement, even before we called it multi-site, yeah. early 2000s, going on 20 years, which is weird to say. It doesn't feel like I'm old enough to say I've been doing something for that long, uh, but it's been really a fun experience. Uh, it's been amazing to see, have been really on the front lines of some really cool, uh, incredible things over these last number of years. I think one of the things that's been really interesting for a multi-site or multi-site, depending on what part of the U.S. you're mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. why do you say multi-site? 
I don't know. It's like the dash or no dash in multi-site. I go no dash. Some okay. people say it should be multi-dash site. I'm like, I just put it all together. I want less, you know, letters. Data or data. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, here yeah, we are. We can potato. really go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to say multi-site. Yes. I think that's more Canadian Northeastern. Sure. Yep. Um, but what's really interesting is I think it was a response to the birth of technology. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like a lot of it started as video locations. It's mm -hmm. like we're out of room. And also as churches have been in decline, mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of industries in decline right now, but as many churches have been in decline, sort of the growing ones have taken over not only more of the market, but more of the mission. Yes. Is that fair? Absolutely. You know, there's this fascinating thing about multi-site uh, when you look at the church in general, and this I think is great application if you're a business leader listening in. So in general, if you look at all churches across the country, across North America, 85% of churches are in plateau or decline. But actually, there's a recent study that just came out from Leadership Network, this kind of think tank, great organization, where literally it's the it's the inverse. So 82% of multi-site churches are growing or state that they're growing. And so I think there's a fascinating thing for us to study this group of churches particularly and say, why is it that this group is is growing? Why is it that they seem to be reaching more people? And so I think, again, it's important for us as church leaders. But if you're listening and you're a business leader, to be able to look at, frankly, for a crass kind of... Uh, language to look at a market where there seems to be a subset that is growing a, a lot faster than the others. I think we should be looking for lessons to pull apart and say, hey, what? how does that apply to what we do in our part of the world? Well, I wonder if some of that, we're going to get into some nitty gritty soon, but I wonder at a more meta level, whether uh, when you look at how everything's changing, and yes. I keep talking about that on my blog and yes. on this podcast, because I think one day I really sincerely believe hundreds of years from now, if there is a hundreds of years from now, the yes. way we're treating the planet. Right. If there is a hundreds of years from now, historians will look back on our lifetime mm -hmm. and go, this is one of the biggest changes in a millennia, if not right. more. Well, absolutely. And there's no doubt that technology is at the core of what's driving multi-site. Yeah. There just is. Like, I think, again, only about a third of multi-site churches use exclusively video. So right. for, for folks that are listening in, business leaders that are listening in, one of the the, the kind of common things about multi-site is you're saying, hey, we're trying to, to figure out what we're doing common among all these different locations. And in the church context, a big part of what we do, frankly, is teaching. We know that two thirds of the reason why people come is because of teaching. And so about a third of all multi-site churches only do video, that they share video among their locations. Um, now, the interesting thing there is that's growing, but that really was not possible 15 20 years ago for most churches. There's this interesting graph uh, that if you plot out uh, the cost of a, a hundred ANSI lumens, which is just the way to measure how bright projectors are. Okay, yeah. As that drops down, you see the increase of multi-site campuses go up. So literally there's an inverse relationship as it becomes cheaper to buy projectors. Only you would campus, know that. Camp, well, but it makes sense, right? That that this it's an enabling technology, this, this idea of a projector, if we can get people in a room. And, and I think that has then um, kind of associated with a broader cultural phenomena, which people are just frankly spending a lot of time looking at screens. We're more used to bringing in information through a screen, whether it's on our desktop, like here that we're today or in our pocket or, or even at work or at school, we're used to this idea of looking and taking in content on screens, which again, not all multi-site churches are video, although an increasing number are, but that kind of technology has been an enabler, which I think is an important thing for all of us to look at and say, what are those pieces of technology that are underlying our culture 
that ultimately are changing the people that we're trying to serve and what difference is that making in the way we deliver what we deliver. So for us in the church world, one of the things that we realize is, oh, wait a second, teaching's really important. And frankly, uh, we can deliver teaching, I think in some ways more effectively through video. And so if we do that in a room and we can distribute that in multiple locations, uh, and that enabling technology enables us to do a pretty amazing thing, which is instead of forcing people to drive to us, we can go to them. Instead of being restricted to one zip code, we can say, hey, let's go to multiple zip codes. Man, that would be, uh, that's an amazing opportunity for us as church leaders. And also I think for other business leaders who might be listening in. No, that's, that, that, I'm, I'm glad you're raising that. And I think, you know, at the meta level and every mm-hmm. plateaued or declining industry. So yep. for example, I mean, we're recording this as Thomas Cook, the the biggest travel agency in the world and the oldest one in the world, uh, completely goes bankrupt, leaving tens of thousands of people stranded. 150,000 people, I think they say, are stranded, which is, that's a real number of people. Yeah. And so the industry, like, obviously they went bankrupt Mm -hmm. in a, in a, and I don't know the whole history, the whole corporate Mm -hmm. history, but the reality is, you know, it's like, oh, so does that mean tourism is going away? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no. no. Exactly. And and the CEO cited, well, obviously things are changing. People are booking their own trips. Mm-hmm. The internet has changed things. Websites like Expedia and Airbnb and Hotels.com have changed things. Mm-hmm. And Airbnb has been a massive disruptor. Absolutely. And I think in every industry, you know, well, retail might be in trouble, mm-hmm. but there are some retail establishments that are growing and people have not finished shopping. They're just shopping differently. Right. And so spiritually, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people say, oh, we're not a Christian culture anymore, et cetera, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. And yet people are still spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And yet you see these outliers, these these groups in almost any industry that are actually, and the same is true spiritually, that are like, mm-hmm. no, this is an opportunity, yes. not an obstacle. Yes. So I want to push back on something because you talked a lot about video and I yes. hear this all the time. People are like, Listen, Carrie, video doesn't work. Yes. Video teaching doesn't work. People <laughs> yes. will not sit under video teaching. What do you say about that? Yeah, so first of all, I've heard this all across the country. Like yeah. I've been in LA and I literally have had church leaders look at me and say, well, this is like the entertainment capital of the world. Video won't work here. I've been in rural <laughs> communities where like, I'm like, there's a church that I, I've done work with where literally they're out in the fields and they're like, this is like a rural community. Like people aren't gonna watch you know, stuff here. You know, and I've said it in, you know, when I was at uh, Liquid Church in New Jersey, we had a similar kind of thing. They're like, those people in that part of the world, they all believe they're super special. And they're like, right. people are not going to watch. They don't want to, they don't want a fake replication. But what we're finding statistically, again, by the most recent study from Leadership uh, Network says, so in 2009, only 20% of all campuses were, were just video, were exclusively mm-hmm. video. Now, the most recent stats from this year, 2019, is that 33% are all video. What we're finding is basically the longer a multi-site church is in, in multi-site and the larger they are, the more likely they are to use video. So a lot of times they start, and I think there's an interesting thing going, and you might be able to relate to this as a communicator, there's an interesting thing that starts at the beginning where I think, frankly, a lot of church leaders are humble and they're like, listen, I don't want to make this about me. I don't want to get a camera and put it on me. I don't want this to all be about me. I want to raise up other people. And although that can be great and that could be amazing, for whatever reason, God has seemed to limit the teaching gift. There just are not as many people out there that have the teaching gift. I don't know why that is. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. why, Mm -hmm. why that is at a spiritual level, but it doesn't seem to be the case. So it's not all about video. The other kind of 
um, kind of misnomer, which is very true to critics of the multi-site movement, is it's not like the majority of campuses are just video. Really, what we're seeing is the majority of campuses use video in some way. So right. they're, they're, they're maybe three weeks doing video, and then one week they have a live local teacher, a campus pastor teach. Or they'll do, you know, a couple series a year where they have a live local teacher who will do that. That's actually a more common expression of, of multi-site than the either end of the spectrum, which is all video or all, all live, local. live local. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I, I think there's some advantages of, of, the, of uh, using video. And, and again, for the church example is for us, frankly, if I can speak a little bit crassly, our core product is teaching. You know, at the end of the day, that's what people come to our churches for. And so it is a relatively simple way to replicate what people uh, are coming to us for. If I'm a business leader coming today, I think the, the question for you is why is it that people come to you and how is there a way for you to replicate that in multiple locations? For us, there was a restriction. There's this thing called the Mercedes constant, which we can get totally geeky on it. But basically what it says is over time, people have only been willing to travel 30 minutes to commute on a regular basis. And so if you look back before the advent of um, even horse and buggy, people were walking half an hour to get to work. And then once people got access to horses, they were going about half an hour. And then with the wow. advent to cars, uh, they're, they're going about half an hour. There's this thing, it's a development, uh, like a, a community development concept called Marchetti's constant that basically people won't go more than half an hour. Now it shouldn't be surprising then that we find that the majority, actually 95% of all multi-site campuses are found within 30 minutes of uh, the other location. They're in their clustering. Now we think of the exception, we talked about Life Church earlier, we think of these exceptions where they're four or five hours apart, but that isn't the norm. Most are within a tight area. And so for us, what we said in the multi-site movement is said, how do we replicate why we know people are coming, which in our world is teaching, and how do we do that within various areas that are slightly uh, outside of what people would normally drive? That's really what's at the core of it. Then that's what drives why churches are using video, because frankly, it's an easy way. Uh, it's a simple way to uh, to replicate the most important part of what we do. Do you think in part uh, the rise of video, and I mean, I've been a communicator now for uh, 25 years, preaching, yeah. speaking, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, when I started in the 90s, there was no internet to speak of. There sure. was dial up, but I yeah. mean, video wasn't a thing. Yeah to get another message, like you were the local communicator. Mm -hmm. And basically it's one of the few venues in which you were a regular public speaker was mm -hmm. in a, in a local church. I mean, I, I, the average preacher will speak more than the average mayor. Sure. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? yeah, definitely. And, and so there wasn't a lot of, and I hate to use this term, but competition. Mm. And now with the rise of the internet, like I used to preach just before we met, I was just thinking about that while you were talking, I probably was preaching 90 different messages a year. Wow. I was preaching almost Steaming. every weekend yep. and then almost every Wednesday. Wow. So it might be a little less, but it was maybe 70. Right. These days I'm preaching 28 to 30. Right. And right. it's not because, you know, I've, I'm like, oh, I'm lazy now and lying in the beach <laughs> half the time. Right. It's like the, I've found the expectation around communication is much more elevated than it used to be. Oh, absolutely. They expect you to have your research done. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just came out of a meeting this afternoon at Connexus. I'm teaching this weekend. Mm -hmm. We're looking at graphs. We're looking at props. I did research for this, obviously scriptural research and so on. Mm -hmm. But do you think that's part of it, that the communication expectations of the average person, because they have the whole internet on their phone? Absolutely. I think it's true. And, you know, things as simple as TED Talks, it's amazing yeah. how that we, that's just become a part of our culture. This idea, like I remember when I started in ministry, you know, I was at school and, and we, you know, I took like a preaching class. And I remember thinking at the time, 
there are not, there's not really many forms of communication that are like this. People standing up and just talking, mm. you know, you'd stand up comics, but they work for a year to get an hour of content. You know, they'll, they'll work that one joke to get that seven minutes, get the tight seven, then the tight 15, you know, but there's not very many where it's like every week we're coming up with new content. Well, that's not entirely true anymore with stuff like Ted talks or, you know, the, the advent of YouTubers. video, yeah, YouTubers, the advent of kind of video blogging and all of this, where there is this explosion of content where I do think that is in a good way, I think helping us in the church to look at, Hey, how do we need to get better at what we do? How do we uh, leverage, you know, the communication form? I still think at the end of the day as, and I'm listen, I love, I love online stuff. I love digital communication, but I still think there's something about, you know, communicators standing up, communicating that is a form that just connects with our culture when done well. It can bore people, but when it's done well, it really does uh, connect. You know, it really does uh, make a difference. Before we leave the subject of video, mm-hmm. um, so most of the listeners of this podcast will not be using video. They will not be multi-site churches, just sure. statistically, demographically. And some would be critical, I'm sure, of, of video teaching because like you, it never goes away. Sure. It's always there. But is this something a single site church could use to say, hey, we're going to use Life Church Open or we're going to use some of the free licenses so that when I'm not communicating, we run video? Do you see that more and more? Absolutely. We're seeing that more and more that, you know, churches that are, um, you know, sub a few hundred are choosing to connect with other churches. You know, a, a little bit of a tip for church leaders that are listening in. There may be a church across the state, across the country that you really love the series that some pastor did. I almost guarantee you, if you reach out to that church and they've done a video and say, hey, can we use that video? Most churches are going to say yes. They're going to be like, absolutely. Because for them, they created the content. It's done. It doesn't cost them anything more. Mm -hmm. And they just want to be generous and they'd be happy uh, to have you use it. And then folks like Life Church have really led the way on making it even simpler. Like you don't have to talk to anybody, just get an account and download it and use it, which is, I think it is a shift and a change you know, I think even at Connexus for over years, right? We've had this joke, the joke internally that like Andy Stanley's our backup preacher, which he's not a bad backup preacher. No, like, he's pretty good. He's decent. You know, as, yeah. as a secondary communicator to Kerry Newhoff. Yeah, he can he can do that. And, but that there's that potential, that kind of potential with all kinds of communicators across the country. Uh, you could find someone who really resonates with your culture, resonates with who you are and plug them in. And yeah, maybe try that for, you know, there are those days through the year where you just don't want to teach or can't teach. Um, you know, it'd be a great opportunity for your church. So there's this amazing stat in the Leadership Network report. They studied 434 churches who together have a total attendance of 1.5 million. Yeah, I love the Leadership Network guys because they are—they really are the experts on a lot of things. Multisite yeah. particularly, they've really been able to kind of you know narrow down and get some really clear, crystal clear uh, research on multi-site. And so, yeah, their most recent study, cause you might say like, Oh, 434, that's not that, that's not that many churches, but actually the aggregate of the entire t- attendance, like you said, is 1.5 million. It, it really does give some, and there's a ton we could talk about in there. Uh, but it really does give you a good sense of what's happening in the multi. So one of the criticisms that again, I've heard of multi-site is, well, that's great. 1.5 million who used to go to smaller churches mm. who now all go, they're not really like, Multi-site churches don't actually reach new people. They are just consolidating the Christians who don't want to go to smaller independent churches anymore. Thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So Warren Bird did a study a few years ago that looked at that. It was actually a fairly convicting study that basically said that churches' ability to reach new people 
if you look at, and this is from a like conversion point of view, however you measure that mm. baptisms, you know, people that say the prayer, you know, figuring out what that looks like in your church. Basically churches reach all the people they're going to reach in the first five years is, is basically what the conclusion of the study came from. That, wow. that when you look at the entire history of how many people a, a church will ever reach, that really comes within the first five years of her existence. And it drops off significantly after that first five years. What multi-site churches have done is they've unlocked this ability to always be a church. If you're launching more than once every five years, uh, you unlock this this potential of constantly reaching new mm. people. And so statistically, although that's a nice thing to throw around, statistically, it's just not true. You know, there there is, there's uh, the other kind of nuance to that question is people will often say, you know, multi-site or church planning, you know, what are the, you know, what are, you know, kind of isn't one better or like holier than the other isn't one. And actually, again, statistically, when you look at effectiveness to reach new people, the issue seems to be multiplication. It seems to be restarting something new. There's nothing like new campuses. There's nothing like new churches, frankly, to reach new people. And so that criticism, frankly, is unfair. Statistically, most churches, after being five years old, their ability to reach new people, or not only their ability, their results in reaching new people, drop off dramatically to the point where basically, you know, and it's not my study, it's Warren Bird's study, uh, shoot him, uh, and I'll get I'll get you a link for that in that that study and for the show notes. I thought you were going to say here's Warren's email. <laughs> yeah, he's shoot great. Him. Yeah, uh, he's no, a great. Warren's Warren. a super guy. Love, love him. Previous he, guest. Yeah, he. Um, you know, basically what they came out with was this idea that basically your church is going to reach everybody they're going to reach in the first five years. So for me. I'm like, man, we got to work hard in those first five years. What can we do to reach as many people as possible? And then multi-site, really what that does is it keeps you constantly renewing because you're always adding a new campus, which is then out forcing you to reach new people. And that the trickle-down impact of that in the rest of your ministry uh, is that you see, wow, this is what it's like to kind of stay fresh and reach new people. So yeah, that's an, mm. somewhat an unfair criticism. Anything else from that report that really stood out? Uh, and I think this is helpful. Like I've heard, I've, I think it's Ed Stetzer said, on this podcast that basically, you know, most of the growth is coming, growth is coming from new churches, which obviously is tied to multi-site. Mm -hmm. um, they all tend to kind of look the same. They've got the band, they got the lights, they got the preacher, and you can talk about variations of it, but there's pretty much a model sure. that, that churches are using. I mean, do you agree with that? Any other insights? Yeah, so the, if I was going to criticize as an insider to the multi-site movement, if yeah, I was yeah, going yeah, to yeah. criticize multi-site, to rephrase your, que your question a little bit, um, so 50% of all multi-site churches, again, this is from the most recent study, and this number, this number is sticking in the research, it's not moving. 50% of all multi-site churches have two or three campuses. So they're, they're not getting to five, six, seven, eight locations. That's, that is the, that is the exception, not the rule to get beyond two or three locations. So for me, uh, I, that's a crime. That's terrible. I'm like, that's why we have to stop that because you know, I do what I don't hear churches say when they go multi-site, when they talk about going multi-site, that they don't say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to launch a campus or two, and then we're going to stall out. Our plan is to only reach, you know, these two areas. Yeah. Often what they're saying are things like, you know, our vision is to plant a campus in every county or like we want to be within 15 minutes of everybody in the greater metropolitan area or like we're, you know, we're believing for one campus a year for the next 10 years, but that's not actually what's happening. What's happening is 50% of campuses, churches are stopping after one or two locations. They become a two or three campus church and then they stop. Now, personally, having seen inside of multiple churches that have got over that, really what I think it comes down to is the church's inability to build a system 
that ultimately attracts volunteers to release new locations. Mm. What happens is we stall out because we, we don't, we're not actually multiplying, we're just adding. We're, we're, we're not actually saying, hey, what are we doing to build healthy and strong volunteer cores in these new locations so that then ultimately those locations will reach more people so that a year from now we can come back and be like, let's do this again. Because what happens, I hear this time and again from multi-site churches, they get a campus out the door and then a year later they're like, cause they call me a year later. They're like, Oh my goodness, this is a lot more work than we thought. And <laughs> you know, this is, this isn't what we thought. And, and you know, on the front end, I say it time and again, anybody that's been around me for a while, listen, if you're thinking about launching multi-site campuses, you have to build large and strong core groups, large teams of people who are going to go and make this thing happen. I would rather you delay six months and take six months to build a bigger and larger and more healthy volunteer core than to prematurely launch and then spend the next six years trying to you know patch it up. And that's what happens when when I hear churches that are struggling in multi-site and I ask three or four questions. I literally just had this happen to me this morning. I had uh, you know a, a leader call me and said, "Oh, you've got to talk to this church." And they they launched a campus. They're a year in, and man, it's not working. And so I, I said, "Well, tell me about their volunteer core." And I'm like, how many people did they have at launch? And they're like, well, I, you know, I'm not sure. And then we, we drilled in a little bit, found out a little bit more. And they were, you know, a few dozen, like 24, 25 people at launch, which just frankly is not Isn't enough. enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to re reproduce. And so, and there's a lot there. There's a whole conversation we could have around it. But ultimately, if you're going to launch a healthy multi-site campus, you need to have large and healthy cores. And so for me, the kind of um, to me, there's as big as the multi-site movement is, you know, there's, it's had a huge impact. I think in my ministry time over the last 20 years, it's the kind of biggest thing that's impacted the church. There are still tons of latent potential in those 50% of multi-site churches that are stalled out at two or three campuses. We want to see, I want to see that push to them get to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 campuses. Imagine the impact. If we know that these things are good at reaching people, we've got to figure out how to get more volunteers in to ultimately reach more people to see you know good things happen. So how do you do that? How do you get more volunteers engaged? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, there's, a, there's a lot there, but the two things I would say is, and this I think has got good application for, for, for business folks. We, I think, and it's happened in today's conversation. When we think about multi-site, I think we often go to systems and technology. So we think a lot, like even today, we, th we talk yeah, about video. video. And that happens all the time. Like that's not a bad conversation. It happens all the time. But actually at the end of the day, uh, the churches that make this jump to five, six, seven, eight locations, what they've figured out is it's actually a people thing. It's a culture thing. It's mm. like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A doesn't sell, or the Chick-fil-A's business isn't chicken sandwiches. Their business is culture re replication. They, you know, they're, it's not by mistake. Listen, I lived in New Jersey for years and they put a Chick-fil-A around the corner from our house. Now, New Jersey, love it. I love Dirty Jersey. It's incredible. But I remember when they opened, there was like all these friendly people working at, at Chick-fil-A. And I'm like- In Jersey. They found right? every friendly person there was in New Jersey and they were working there. And I ended up because of, you know, just through a couple of connections, I ended up, you know, meeting the operator, a great guy, fantastic leader. And I said to him, I'm like, you seem to have found every friendly person. And he's like, no, no, we train them that we train them to be that way. We're, and I think the actual, the phrase he, he said is like, we're in, we're, we're in the business of, of training every young person how to be polite like that. And I'm like, that's really true. Yeah. Well, a year later, they're still friendly. You know, now that that location's four or five years in, they still continue to do that. The same is true with, with the local church. If you're thinking about launching campuses, it's really about building a system 
that slows down and acquires a large group. And I would say somewhere between 75 and 150 volunteers. So not people, and this is a nuance, Hmm. Too, too many times churches, they get up and they say, hey, like, uh, w- w- who would like to go to this new location? And I'm like, don't ask that question. You don't care who's going to the new location. You only care who's serving at the new location. It doesn't right. actually matter how many people sit. In Attendance the, in, doesn't matter. It doesn't. At the end of the day, what matters is who's going to go and volunteer. And so I think you've got to slow down. You've got to, there's this other interesting problem, which which I talk about in some other resources that that um, most church leaders are more innovative than the average person they're trying to acquire. So you, you're, if you think about the diffusion of innovation curve, on yeah, one yeah. side, you've got innovators. On the other side, you've got laggards. Most church leaders, particularly folks that are, uh, that are doing multi-site, they're more innovative than the, the middle majority, than that middle majority people. Yeah, you're out there in front as a leader. So what happens is you end up, if you don't build a system that finds middle majority people, all you'll do is find innovators. This is what happens to church planners all the time. They go out and they find innovators, people who love to try new things. That will not help your campus long-term. What you need are middle majority people who are gonna stick and stay in the long run, who are gonna slow down and say, yes, I would love to be here for the long haul. In order, how do you do that? I think you have to take longer launch processes. You're not launching in three months. You know, you're launching over six, seven, eight, nine, ten months. You've got a long, extended conversation with people. You're, you know, walking with them slowly. You're not trying to prematurely ask them. Again, a lot of times, love communicators. You know, you've heard me say that before. But a lot of times, communicators think all I have to do is stand up and preach on this, and we'll get the volunteers we need. That's just not the case. You know, you'll get maybe fifteen percent of who you need. If you just get up on a Sunday and say, hey, we're launching this thing, but you can't launch a church on 15%. You need to get that full, you know, 100%, which in my case, I would say is somewhere between 75 and 150 volunteers, somewhere in that range. Part of what we're talking about here is really engagement, right? Because if you're volunteering in a church or not-for-profit, if you're that good Chick-fil-A employee who's learned how to be polite, Um, you're engaged. Mm-hmm. You're you're not like, oh my gosh, what time is my shift over? Right? Sure. Like you're like, oh, this is hard. It was easier just to come and sit there for 45 minutes yes. and do nothing than it is to get up at three o'clock in the morning yes. and on a Sunday on my day off. Yep. How do you create that kind of like what I know this is like a whole other podcast, but sure. like you you've seen best practices because not only the three churches that you've worked at, mm-hmm. but the hundreds you've consulted with and visited, what are some of the best practices to get highly engaged, highly motivated volunteers? Yeah, so this is, uh, again, there's a ton we could unpack here, but I think you've got to work backwards from what is the ideal volunteer experience Mm. back to what your recruiting looks like. So you've actually got to start with what would actually be a great volunteer experience? What is that? What happens when people Which is what so many people don't think about, right? Right. Because what's in the, it for them? Not what's in it for us. What's in it for them? What's in it for them? How mm. does it how does it feel if you would volunteer at your church? Would you volunteer for you? Absolutely. Right? So what are the keys to Yeah, that? so I think the the kind of broad part of this, and there's so much I could drive, drive down on this, but the kind of 10,000 foot view is ultimately a, an ideal volunteer experience is relationally driven, not driven by task. And I think so many church leaders get this wrong. And so many, I think, frankly, so many employers get this wrong. People, uh, we need people to do stuff. We need them to check stuff off a list, whatever that is. You know, they need to show up and be the greeter. We need them to set up an environment. But that's not actually what motivates people or motivates a small number of people. Mostly what motivates people is, am I known? Does someone know me? Are they caring for me? Are they slowing down for a moment and getting to know me better? Is this the kind of place that, um, I can grow. I'll give you a, a kind of a, mm. just a short example of this. So, you know, I've been in a lot of portable churches. You know, we spent a lot of time setting up and tearing down in all different kinds of environments. And I remember 
uh, was one Christmas Eve. And the way at Liquid are, are um, at this phase, and I'm sure this is still the case, what we would say to our staff is, listen, no staff leaves until the last volunteer leaves. So we're here until the bitter end because we don't want there to be staff you know, going before our... And so what that means within your setup teardown is you're waiting till everything gets put away. And there was this group of guys, and we, I still remember, we were at a, a, a Hyatt hotel, like a really nice hotel, and we got chicken wings and all that, You know, again, trying to create a relational environment. And one of the guys, he kind of like grabbed a couple other guys by the shoulders and said, you know what? And this is Christmas Eve. There's a lot of other places people could be. So you know what? Serving on this team, you guys are like my brothers. You're like, I, I, this is like a new family for me. Now, for us, we have to create those kind of experiences. We have to work backwards from how do we create such a great experience that, yeah, we got stuff to do. We got to put boxes away. We got cables to roll, all that stuff but we have to make it such a great relational experience, which ultimately is about slowing down. It's about knowing people's names. It's about food. It's about t-shirts. It's about like a ton of tactics. We could talk about that. It's about surprise and delight. It's about all kinds of other things, but it really is ultimately, how do we make it more relationally driven? How do, how do we make this that, oh, actually I would love to do this because I get, I get friends here. This is the kind of place I can, I can get to know people. And I would say that's the Mm. case with great businesses as well. So I had a a chance when I was in university to work or college for American friends uh, to work at the Disney stores, which is so fun. Great experience. I love your Disney store. And they were, you know, like that's like- And you're a Disney, you're a, what do they call those? Disney- Disney freak? I don't know. I don't know. There's no (laughs) name for that. Yeah, Disney nerd. But you've read everything. Love it, yeah. Yeah. But, But a part of that experience, looking back on that, I, they invested so much. We were just a Disney store people like these, you know, they're, we're selling stuffed animals basically is all we're doing, but they invested so much time, effort and energy to ensure that, wow, this was a fun working environment that like mm. we actually wanted to be there. And a part of that, I st- again, it's amazing how these things stick in your brain. I was working in a cash register one day and, um, and you know, imagine like, you know, it's kind of ironic looking back on it now. Cause I like, don't like doing receipts. I don't know anybody that does, but you know, like, when you have your own bills, so you had to file all these receipts. Well, I lost a receipt. So somebody had run, you know, they paid something on credit card and they lost a receipt. Well, the way our system worked is we have to find that receipt. We cannot close the store. And so what I literally was doing was you follow all these procedures and eventually you're going through the garbage to find receipts because you know it's there somewhere. <laughs> so I'm literally sitting on the floor of this store at, with the bags of garbage around me looking for, and you know what? The regional manager, not even my store manager, the regional manager comes sits down beside me, a guy named Rob, I still remember, sits down beside me, takes off his jacket and says, hey, we're going to find this receipt together. I'll work with you on this. And I think back to that and oh, I thought, wow. like that's- And you're how old? And I'm like 18, 19 oh at gosh, that time. Rich. And this guy's like a Disney, like he's a real deal, like from California, you know, big, big time guy. Two things was impressed on me that day. He could have just said, you lowly person, receipts are really important. You're fired. Yeah, you're fired or you're going to sit there all night and find it. Yeah. But he that the, the lesson that was burned in me that night was twofold. One was, oh my goodness, receipts are like a really big deal because like if the district manager guy is going to sit on the floor and go through the garbage with me on it, I don't ever want to lose one of these things yeah. again. And also, hey, this guy, Rob, wanted my job to be, he didn't want it to be terrible. You know, this is terrible. No one wants to go through garbage. He wanted it to be a, a good thing. Now, for us, I think oftentimes in the church world, to bring it back to kind of a, a, a um, you know, kind of a faith context or a church context, there's a lot of jobs that we do that frankly are sitting on the floor taking out receipts. Like, it's just not interesting, but we've got to figure out how do we make them relational? How do we make the kind of thing that people want to be a part of? 
servant leadership. Absolutely. Really, at the end of the day, which should be at the heart of it. But I think, uh, you know, it's like that whole idea of people don't quit jobs, they quit managers and they quit cultures. Yeah, absolutely. And what is your volunteer culture like? Mm -hmm. Is that, would you volunteer for you? It's a question I ask myself all the time. Would I work for me? Yes. Would I volunteer for me? Absolutely. I don't know. Some days, yes. Some days, no. Right. I mean, you know, you have to ask that. Mm -hmm. Any other, um, because this research is, is, is really fascinating. Any other data on like, what a typical multi-site church looks like or shifts yeah. in the multi-site movement that are worth noting? There's a couple that continue to, uh, which probably aren't surprising to folks that are listening in. There's this, um, you know, we're seeing an increasing digitization of um, the local church. So campuses, online campuses continue to be a growing part, you know, a growing piece of the puzzle. So five years ago, just 28% of multi-site churches said they had an online campus. Today, it's 47%. I think for us, the question becomes, wh- how, what part of our ministry are we putting online? What are we doing to ensure right. that what, if you're not, and this is a church of any size, like you do not have to be a large church to have a podcast. You don't need, I have a, a buddy of mine, a church planner in Florida. The day they started, they started with a video podcast. Like they, you know, out of the box are recording video on YouTube. You don't have to be a big church to do that. That's important for all of us. And I think for business leaders, you know this, every part of your business needs to, you need to ask the question, how can technology enable this? What what part of kind of digitization, you know, what part of digitization should a plan? Your website, business? your Instagram, Absolutely. all that stuff actually, Super actually important. really matters. Absolutely. And it's pretty free, isn't it? Yes. Like, you're not talking about 10 grand worth of gear. You're talking about shoot on your iPhone. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Put on your, yeah. If you want to do video, you could, you probably, if you're going to do video, you want to buy like a camera, but that's not right. much, you know, for a few hundred dollars, you could do that recording audio, frankly, like I've seen church planners. They literally, all they do is they have their iPhone in their pocket. They get another, just a little lav mic that just plugs into their phone. And before they go out on stage, they hit record. And then that just records an MP3. And it's just audio, but an MP3 of them talking. And it doesn't even connect into the house system or into the room at all. But then they've got that MP3 and they can give that away. That is so important. Regardless of any church that's hmm. listening in today. Now I know there's still, I heard this statistic that one, that there were one in four churches in America don't have a website, which is that's very puzzling really? to me. Yeah, I, I find that statistic hard to believe. Well, but, and businesses are no better. I right. mean, a lot of like, sometimes I go even on, on services I use locally and I'm like, right. wow, a website from 1996. Right. Like that's pretty incredible. It doesn't take much. You don't need a lot. And and, yeah. and and so, yeah, I would think that, you know, continue to think about how are we digitizing. The other trend that we're seeing in multi that I think applies to us is, or is interesting to think about is 42% of multi-site churches are exploring what this study called microsites, this idea okay. of a quicker, a quicker, faster footprint. So people, the, the kind of, as the movement continues along, pe- people are asking the question, you know, we always assumed that a campus had to be insert X number, has to be a thousand, yeah. has to be 500. They, everybody has a different number, but regardless, people are asking, it, could we do this in a smaller area? Like, what would this look like if we went into an old folks home and there was only 25 people there? Is that, can we make that successful? Is that, is that you know, is that a good thing? Or what could, could we do remote, um, you know, almost like house church kind of things where it's like, there's maybe only 15, 20 people there, but that again has a, a different feel to it. So people are wrestling with, um, you know, this idea of putting it into a smaller box. You know, you can look at Starbucks, right? You've got the kind of full Starbucks experience. You've got the Starbucks at the, at the, you know, airport, you've got, you know, then you've got all the way down to instant coffee Starbucks. It's how do we take their core product, which in that case is roasted beans in a certain experience. How do we um, offer that in a different kind of, you know, container? What does that look like? And again, I think 
in the, in the church world, we want to be asking, Hey, let's not just limit ourselves to the one zip code or the one address that we've been given. Is there a way for us to extend our ministry into another location? Is there a way for us to look at maybe a, a smaller box um, that we can put it into? Hmm. No, that that's interesting too, because we've done even at Connexus, what I call pop-up church, where we've hmm. gone to cities we're not in. Yeah. Uh, for Christmas mostly, but you could do it at other times of the year too. Absolutely. It's almost like you see pop-up stores, right? Absolutely. So somebody opens up a kiosk at the airport mm-hmm. or uh, a pop-up store. We're just going to pop up restaurants or a thing. So there's that whole idea of smaller micro expressions. Absolutely. Liquid Church this last summer did, um, they did a campus, which I, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, it was a great choice. They were at a right, literally on the ocean. So they were down the Jersey shore, beautiful location, a block and a half from uh, the water and it was just for the summertime. So it was just over the summertime, Saturday evening, basically for people who were down the shore, let's let's go and, and provide that experience. I think that's great. What a fantastic opportunity for a church and obviously a great place to go. They had no problem finding people that wanna go and volunteer there and lead there because it's such a beautiful uh, part of the world. But yeah, absolutely. This idea of pop-up church or you know Christmas services or testing locations, you were seeing more and more of that. Churches that are asking the question, hmm, is there different ways for us to take this We've got over the fact that we can multiply. Now, is there a different location that we could multiply into? What is the difference between a thriving campus and one that isn't? Oh, that's a great question. Those that are struggling. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, part of it, I think, is ultimately it's a replication issue. Is this campus growing to the point where they could see themselves multiplying? One of the things that came out in the statistic, and it's these statistics, and I don't have it written right in front of me, but I believe it was almost 40% of campuses out there um, have birthed another campus. So there, there, there wow. was this early in the movement, there was this idea that you were only taking from one location. So we are still seeing that um, one campus has is predominantly larger than the rest of them. So right. the, the numbers in the, in the study show that on average, which average is always tough, but then on average, we're seeing that one campus has 63% of the all entire church's attendance in it. But typically broadcast, right? Typically the broadcast campus, typically where they started from, they have the deepest roots in those locations. Now some of that, there's a lot of reasons why that is, but mm-hmm. but but we're but what we're seeing is that healthy campuses are getting to the point where they're saying, hey, we can actually, we could find 50, 75, 100 people, hive them off to send them out. So ultimately, I think the greatest measurement is of, of health is growth to the point where um, we could hive off, multiply, uh, find some leaders to send to a new location. Hmm. And what do you need to do to build that kind of momentum and excitement rather than just have people who show up week after week? I know you've talked about that in the church growth flywheel and different things like that. But I mean, there's a lot of people who go to stuck churches. There's a lot of people who run stuck organizations. It's like, yeah, we just do, you know, we're hoping for 2% better next year if we're lucky in a good year, hoping not to decline. Yeah, there's a ton there. You know, first of all, I think church leaders from growing churches do have a rock solid understanding of why it is that their people or what their people say when they're inviting their friends to come to church. Okay. That they, and they're investing in those areas that they're, they, 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 when people say like, well, why do people come to our church? There's not ambiguity in a growing church's 
leadership mind. They're not like, I'm not entirely sure. They know that it's like, and uh, typically it's some version of like teaching, kids ministry, a great kind of welcome environment, usually worship ministry is in there somehow. And frankly, those thriving campuses, those thriving churches are investing in those areas. They're saying, hey, these are areas we want to get better at over time. And so what that means ultimately is um, you've got to cut out other things so that you can focus on those areas that have the greatest impact. I don't know if you've noticed this, Carrie, but lots of times I'm in churches that are, or when I've been in churches that aren't thriving or, you know, they're asking, we're, you know, talking to their, their ministry. I'm surprised at how much they do. They have a very long list of ministries. They have a very long oh, yeah, list yeah. of stuff. 42 things happening this yeah, week. Yeah, and I'm like, and how does a church of a hundred people do that? I don't know what that looks like, where when you look, there is absolutely a, um, an inverse relationship between a very large church that actually, when you look at what they do, they don't actually have a very complex approach to ministry. They don't have a lot of different ministries. They do a few things and they do them well. You know, they've stuck to their knitting and they say, hey, we're going to get better at that. We're going to focus in. Again, that's an old idea, simple church, all that. But it is, it still holds true, you know, that, that, that churches that are making a difference. How do you create the kind of church that people want to come to? Frankly, you invest in a few things and get better at them so that ultimately those people in your church will tell their friends about their church and they'll want to come. And that becomes this flywheel, which is a whole other conversation of, of how you ultimately grow your church. Yeah. It's hard to reproduce complexity. Absolutely. Much easier to reproduce simplicity. Absolutely. So how do you know you're ready for multi-site? I know there's a lot of leaders here going, Hey, one day, one day, maybe, maybe, how do you know that day is now? Great question. So I would say every church that's listening in today that's growing should be thinking about multi-site. So if you're a church of 200 and you're growing, you should be thinking, hmm. And then and that bears out statistically. When you, when you hear mm. statistically about churches that are thinking about multi-site, really they're the churches that are thinking, that are growing. And they're like, hey, they're, they're making an impact. Now, the, interestingly, the multi-site movement started as a megachurch movement. So it definitely started with churches. I remember in 2005, I spoke at a, a conference at Willow Creek. And um, at that point I was at the meeting house and our church at that point, we were about 2,500 people. And, and I was speaking at this conference and they, they, which was a little bit humbling. They had the, my title of my, my talk was does multi-site work in a small church? And I was like, um, I don't think 2,500 is small. small, but at that, but that was at that point, that was because everybody that was doing it at that point was 10,000 plus. It was, it was a very, very much so a big church movement. Now that's changing increasingly, actually smaller and smaller. 300, um, 400. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's churches that are planting, they're starting day one with saying, I was at a church this week who, you know, right from the beginning, they're like, hey, we're thinking about multiplication and they're having their first Sunday and they're thinking, hey, we're thinking about multiplication. Mm -hmm. That could be multi-site, that could be planting churches. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, you know, I think you need to have a, a, a measure of health. Um, you know, when you replicate all, you're going to replicate everything about you. So there is a little bit of nail it before you scale it. If, if you take your, <laughs> if you have problems in your church and you do problems in two locations, it doesn't make it easier. It makes it more difficult. Um, so you've got to, you know, solve a level of it. But frankly, I find myself on the side of the equation, often saying to church leaders, like, like, I think you should do this, like step in, uh, you know, God's got a huge plan for your community. And maybe this is the next step. Maybe this right. is, you know, where he's leading you. Looking back, what would you say has been a surprise for you of the multi-site movement? It's like, yeah, I've been in this for years, but like, I never thought this would happen. So two things. One, I would say, um, video is the greatest non-issue in this whole thing. I've spent a lot of time, effort, and energy thinking about how do we do video well, but in the end, it's actually really easy. Like it's, 
there's, there's really common and it's become really cheap to do the idea of doing live video between multiple locations. The friends at living as one have solved that problem. And so for all the time that I've spent thinking about video, it actually is, is not really a big deal at, by at all. And the second I think is I'm surprised, frankly, how many churches have gone multi-site. I remember when I first started in multi-site, this was like 2001, 2002, I found out that there were a dozen churches. There were a dozen other churches that were doing it. And I was blown away by that. Well, now they say there's somewhere north of a thousand, you know, there's, or somewhere north five, 5,000, sorry, 5,000 churches that have gone multi-site. Millions of people every, every year uh, are attending these churches. And it, it seems to be accelerating in those most recent statistics where there's evidence that actually it's that its growth is actually speeding up, not slowing down, hmm. which is surprising because it doesn't, I think if you were to talk to most church leaders, they're like, oh, that's such a passe idea. Like, or they wouldn't say that. They'd be like, oh, I don't know. Like maybe that was an idea that was really cool five years ago, but actually- Like video or multi-site? Multi-site. But yeah. actually what we're seeing statistically is it's increasing. The velocity of campuses launching is increasing. The number of churches that are going multi-site and choosing a multi-site is increasing every year. And so, yeah, I think those things would be things- Because what you surprising. are hearing in the buzz, like James Emery White, kind of rocked the world by saying we're shutting down all of our campuses, right. moving back to one. And I've had a conversation with him, yep. not on this podcast. And he mm -hmm. says, yeah, that actually led to growth for us. Yep. Now there's a whole beltway thing around that. Yep. You know, Matt Chandler has shut down all the campuses, the multi-site, they're all mm -hmm. independent churches. So mm -hmm. th there's, there's almost a counter argument now that says exactly the opposite, like in, mm -hmm. in the common ether. Yes. It's like actually multi-site is a thing from the past, but you're saying no. Yeah, so statistically that doesn't bear out. What we are finding is, um, so again, from the most recent statistics, uh, two thirds of all multi-site churches are more centralized than decentralized. If you look at and listen to the stories of churches that have decided to opt out of multi-site, that were multi-site and then spun them off, or and I don't know about these specific examples, but churches that I've been a part of their conversation, they tend to be decentralized multi-site churches where right. they were allowing and they were having campus pastors, um, you know, kind of make their own decisions. They really, in a lot of way, were a federation of church plants rather than a multi-site church, which is saying, you know, it takes a certain leader to say, to get 10 leaders in the room and say, okay, everybody think a different thought. It doesn't actually take that complex of a leader to do that. It takes a whole other level of leadership to get 10 leaders in a room and say, all right, this is what we're going to work on together. How do we kind of find our common good and, and push this thing forward? And what we're seeing is those churches that are choosing to do that are seeing great effectiveness in reaching new people. Um, and so, yeah, I understand there. And I, I've said this on my own podcast. I've said it, you know, on my blog. I think we will see more of that. There will be more high profile, multi-site, large multi-site churches that will de-multi-site. But my challenge on that is if you look at what's actually happening behind that. Typically it's because they're decentralized models where the where really when, what's actually happening there is they're a federation of church plants, not really a, hey, let's all work on this together type movement. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, we'll see what happens in the in the coming years. What do you think is gonna happen in the coming years? Like if you had to put your not Nostradamus hat on. Sure. Uh, what would you think is gonna be multi-site three, five, 10 years down the road? Well, I think there will be an increased expression of the micro site, there will be an increased focus on how do we figure out how to do this in a smaller footprint. You know, there are, I know there are um, thriving, robust house church movements out there. To me, there's a real logical birth or connection between multi-site and, and the house church movement. 
But I think the thing, unfortunately, where a lot of house church movements have fallen apart is they're so decentralized. There isn't a common leadership structure to them. Yeah. And they, and that causes, it, may, it makes it difficult for them to scale long-term. I think, and there are multiple churches that are doing the meeting house, a church I was at in, in Toronto, they're doing that. There's a number of churches out there that have decided to try to really come alongside the, the house church movement and say, hey, how do we work with you? I think there's real potential there. Somebody's going to figure out how to do that. And there'll be a 500 campus, you know, multi-site that'll have, you wow. know, 500 campuses of 35 people. And I think I'm hoping, and this is maybe more in the category of hope rather than, you know, prediction, but I really do hope that those multi-site churches that are out there today that have two or three locations uh, will say, we're going to buckle down and figure out how to go from two or three to 10. Cause I think there's statistically what we know is that those new campuses will reach all kinds of new people, that there's there's opportunity for us to see lots of people coming to the kingdom of Christ. And I would challenge those church leaders that are multi-site today to say, if you've stalled out, I would say, don't give up on multi-site. You've done the hard work. You've got mm. out. You've said you're going to do this. You've invested in it. You just need to go back and figure out, okay, what was it about the way we launched particularly? What was it about our launch process that didn't work that didn't, I would say, ultimately generate enough volunteers to make it healthy for us long-term. So I hope that churches will invest in that because the churches that I've been a part of, we've seen that time and again, when we slow down, build the, the right size of teams uh, that a year from late, or a year from now, that campus is thriving, that that then enable us to go on to the next locations and then ultimately we're able to reach more people down the road. Ah, that's good to know. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I think, when you see so much growth and momentum, it is a little bit premature to say the multi-site movement's dead. Oh, absolutely. For sure. What about the single site church? Mm -hmm. What about, what about, you know, the church of 50 to 250, which is the vast majority of churches, they're not connected. You look five years down the road. What do you think happens there? Well, I think there's still lots of opportunity there. You know, I think there's a yeah. lot of people who frankly, uh, when you get into church under 200 people, you're choosing to follow a single leader. You're like, I really like, this person, I love this particular, yeah. you know, pastor. And, and there are people in our community that are wired that way. They want to have that kind of relationship. They want to, you know, there's that whole that, you know, they want the pastor to smell like the sheep. Like they, they're mm -hmm. looking for that kind of relationship. And I think there's lots of opportunity there. I think there are lessons. And some of we've talked about today, I think if I'm a single cell, single location church pastor, I'd be thinking about the use of technology and I'd be thinking, how do I integrate that? What am I doing digitally to help reach my people? Um, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be thinking about the use of video, even in a single location, I would be thinking, hmm, you know, maybe we should be doing iMag or image magnification where we, we project, um, you know, whoever's on stage, project them up on the side screens, partly because I think uh, those people communicate better. And you've seen this, you're, oh, yeah. you know, when you go and speak at a conference or you speak at church, you know, there's a giant screen there. We know that two thirds of communication is nonverbal. And so when you're image magnified and there's all those, you know, little subtle nuances in your face, you actually just communicate better. You actually, people see your message in a better way than just if you're standing on a stage somewhere. And that's not unreasonable for a church of, you know, 150 people to say, Hey, maybe we should invest in video. We don't even have any intention to go multi-site down the road, but Hey, maybe this could be a, you know, a good next step uh, for us. 
No, that's uh, that's uh, that that's interesting, and I don't disagree with you. I sure. think what you're going to see is a lot of disruption and a lot of change in the church space. Any thoughts? Last question for you, and I know you've got more. We sure. could we could go on all day. Uh, future of online church. Any thoughts before I let you go? You know, oh gosh, you, you're putting <laughs> me on. on here. Yeah, you're putting me on. On. So I've been involved yeah. in in on, church yeah. online since 2009. I am a fan, an early adopter. Did all the math around, like, man, this is an efficient way to reach people. Um, I think I've come kind of full circle on it, to be honest. I think church online, first of all, I think every church that's multi-site should be doing some version of church online, which we're seeing statistically that's growing. But I, I don't think you should think of it as a, it's a separate campus. It's like our opportunity to grow the world. I think it's a front door. I think it's a lobby. I think it's a foyer to your experience. I think the idea of offering, um, you know, your entire experience with a chat room so that people can see what it's like to come to your church, I think is the best place for church online. I think this idea, and I know there's some people who are not going to like this, this because there are people, and I have good friends who really hold this view that it's like, no, you're, it's like its own standalone thing. I'm like, ah, I haven't seen. There's too, to me, there's too many problems with with. Um, church online that get us away from local church. So for instance, we know that uh, children's ministry is a big part of why churches grow that. And we know that a high percentage, and I don't have the statistic off my head, but it's like 60, 70% of people come to know Christ or make a decision to follow Christ before the age of 18. Well, I haven't seen anyone or very few people have cracked the nut on what does kids church online look like? So my problem is if you're saying you're an actual church, but you have nothing for kids online, um, I think you're missing out on a huge, a potentially huge redemptive issue. Like, oh, you're not, you're not actually reaching people, you're not helping people take steps closer to Jesus. So again, that there's people are, I can feel the emails already coming, uh, you know, my way around that. I think it's an important innovation. I think it's a thing we should invest in. I think every church that's multi-site should be doing some version of it, but I think ultimately it should be positioned as a front door. It should be positioned as a lobby to say, hey, why don't you come to our services? And then you'll see this statistically. Yeah. I know that the church online that I have had a, um, have been able to have a kind of behind the scenes view on, we're typically seeing 50, 60% of the people who are viewing those are within driving distance of an existing campus. So the vast majority of those people should be coming and sitting in our campuses. Now, what we're not seeing is it take attendance away. That's been debunked. There's lots of people that are like, oh, it's going to hurt our attendance. That's not actually true. I think it's a, it's, 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 it's moving people who maybe only attend. And you've written a lot on this once every six weeks, once every two months, they maybe will watch every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay. That's fine thing. And I think there's a value on it as well. Even just from a community service point of view, I, I had a guy say to me, you know, this was when I was at liquid church. He was, he's a business guy and travels all the time. And he said, you know, hey man, like I am just so thankful that I can open up church online on the weekend and 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 plug in and feel like I'm at home when I'm not at home. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, as a as a church leader pastorally, would I rather have a guy who's traveling in my church watching in his hotel in his hotel room watching church online or watching something else he could be watching? I would way rather than watching church online. So I do think yeah. there's pastorally a good thing there. So sure. that like front door side door thing, yeah, and it's, it's almost like it's almost like online dating. In sure. my mind, it's sure. like, okay, eventually this leads to a coffee. Eventually you got to sit down across the table. Maybe, maybe something, you know, maybe a lifelong relationship. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Right. But sure. the, the purpose of connecting online is not to leave it online. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's the first step. Um, and, and that's hard to do. And, and some people have cracked that nut and a bunch of churches haven't. It's, it's, it can be difficult to do. So Rich, you are pretty much an encyclopedia on all things multi-site <laughs> and you put together some fun stuff for leaders who are listening, who want to know more. And trust me, 
there is so much more yes. in the hyper practical realm. So, so I wanted to make sure. About it? First of all, I love the Carrie Newhoff audience. Whenever I interact with people who are who are part of the Carrie Newhoff tribe, I just I love this community. And so what we did was we put together. Uh, two resources that we're going to give you for free. Um, you can get these resources in two ways. One, you can just go to carrymultisite.com or you can text all one word, carrymultisite to 44222. And there's two things you're going to get. First, we'll give you access to the Leadership Network latest findings that we talked about here. So you'll actually get a chance to download that, see the full thing. You could spend a lot of time with your leadership team. But then we're also going to give you access to a, a three-part video series that's all lessons on multi-site. So what I've tried to do, it's a whole other series of conversations around what are some of the biggest mistakes that camp churches have made in launching. We talk about keys to picking locations. And then I had this whole conversation about dirty secrets, the dirty secrets of the multi-site church movement. So again, all you have to do is go to carrymultisite.com. You got to tell us like one dirty secret. Yeah. Well, so one dirty secret, I'll say this. Uh, campus pastors is the hardest and most painful part of this whole process. I almost Hire, asked you about that. Yeah. yeah. Hiring campus pastors is very difficult. Um, we talk about it in this resource. It's very difficult to do. Um, and again, that's a whole other conversation. Okay. No, but that's good. Uh, so that's one of the dirty secrets. Yeah, absolutely. So. so it's that kind of thing. We're trying to give people a bit of under the hood because I'm hoping really what I yeah. want to do is encourage if there's church leaders that are listening in today, they're thinking hmm, we might want to go multi-site. I'd love them to get all these resources. Or if you're already multi-site right. and you're stalled out particularly, I want you to, to get these resources because I think they'll help you uh, really think about next locations. It's free, completely free. The leadership network stuff that's it's actual killer. data absolutely uh, i mean they do great stuff they ron great edmondson's job. been a guest and yeah absolutely so many and the this other study people. is amazing and like i say you yeah. just go there we'll get you access so to that carry multisite.com you yep. built a website with my name yeah on it. that's exactly. really it's just cool one page so c-a-r-e-y <laughs> carry multisite.com yeah. or uh what's the text, text number you just text carry multisite to 44222 so c-a-r-e-y yeah and that's and so if you can't if you're like in canada or somewhere part of the world and you can't do the short code thing you just go to carry multisite.com you enter your email address and We'll get it sent to you. All right. That's cool. Rich, as always, Thanks, great Karen. stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. Take we'll care. We'll do it again. Rich is always so generous. I hope you guys check out those resources. Also, uh, we have all the links for you in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 295. We include transcripts for free with that. Some of you are readers. You know, the other thing I love about transcripts, I love it when podcasts offer them. Uh, here's, here's what I love. Uh, they're searchable. So you just actually search a term. You know, when he talked about X, you just type it in and boom, there it is. So anyway, check that out at kerryneuhoff.com forward slash episode 295. If you can't spell that, just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and type in Rich Birch. Also, we are uploading many episodes these days to YouTube. We haven't got this one on, but we've got an incredible archive with, well, all kinds of fascinating people. We've got Let's see, Christy Wright, David Kinneman, Max Lucado, Sam Collier, Kevin Jennings, Michael Hyatt, Nona Jones, Sean Cannell, Les McEwen, and more. You can find that on YouTube. And of course, if you subscribe, and many of you have subscribed now on YouTube, if you subscribe to the audio, if you're an audio listener, kind of like me, subscribe to this podcast for free. You never miss a thing. And don't forget to check out the special offers we've got. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry today to save on healthcare costs for your staff for 2020. And then Pro Web Fire's got a monthly special, 30% off for life, new website every three years, uh, weekly updates, and they'll manage your Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, etc. And all you have to do for that is go to prowebfire.com forward slash carry. So we are back uh, with a fresh episode real soon, and I am so excited to bring you Mark Batterson. I flew to DC, had an in-person conversation with Mark. We'll be bringing you that. 
And I'm super pumped for that. So hang on for that one. And then uh, we've also got Gordon McDonald, Alejandro Reyes, Patrick Lencioni, Albert Tate, N.T. Wright, and a whole lot more coming up on the podcast. So uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. But before we go, we're going to do our new feature. And Chris asked this question on Twitter. By the way, if you've got a leadership question, just use any platform and the hashtag AskCarrie, C-A-R-E-Y. That's hashtag AskCarrie. Chris says, I need steps for reaching attendance goals I need to get past. At 200, what do we do next? So 200 is uh, an almost <laughs> impassable barrier in church world. Sometimes it's because people don't want to reach more people. And that's fine. I assume by your question, that's not true. And certainly I'm not wired that way. Uh, but 85% of all churches never make it past 200. And in the business world, there's a parallel. Here's the parallel. 96% of all small businesses never get past a million dollars in sales. Now, why is that? Often it's not because of ambition or in the church case, because of a lack of faithfulness. It's actually structural issues that prevent it. And a lot of businesses and a lot of churches run like a mom and pop shop. So what you've got to do, Chris, is you got to get rid of all the vestiges of mom and pop in the church. Sometimes we call that the chaplain model. And at the heart of the mom and pop slash chaplain model is this, the leader who does everything. You're doing all the pastoral care, attending all the meetings, leading all the meetings, coming up with all the initiatives. And basically 200 is the level or a million dollars in sales in business is the level at which your ability to run around like a chicken with his or her head cut off ends. It just doesn't scale. It doesn't work. You will burn out or your organization will just always stay small. So a couple of things in the specific church context you can do. Number one, pay attention to how you do pastoral care because that's really, really important. Uh, pastoral care where one person is doing all of it does not scale. The other thing you can do is delegate and equip leaders. And then the next barrier that comes along is the church boardroom. So uh, the board at 400 to 600 will not be able to process all of the information that they need to make great decisions. So you have to move from board-based decision-making to staff-based decision-making. A final tip I would have for you, Chris, is make sure that at this point you don't hire doers, you hire leaders. So as you're adding staff, don't hire people here. You take pastoral care here. You do this because you'll end up with a whole bunch. I think Patrick Lencioni, maybe somebody else called it the, the genius with a thousand helpers syndrome, where there's one person kind of driving everything and a whole lot of people who assist. That is another recipe for stagnation. What you need to find is leaders and leaders would be defined in your context as people who can recruit volunteers, lead volunteers and lead beyond themselves. So they, of course, you do some ministry, but basically they don't do the ministry. They equip others to do the ministry. And that's very biblical. That's Ephesians 4, that's 1 Corinthians 12, and so much more. So I hope that helps. By the way, this is a quick summary. I have a whole lot more for you, if anyone's interested, at churchgrowthmasterclass.com. So check that out, churchgrowthmasterclass.com. I share everything about all the attendance barriers, 200, 400, 800, 1,000. Um, what you need to do to get your church growing. All those resources are housed at churchgrowthmasterclass.com. And in business, you know what? It's the same thing. It's like you, you can't just be the people who open the store, close the store, open the business, close the business, do everything. You've got to start to scale and delegate 
beyond yourself. So hope that helps, guys. I'm really enjoying this. So make sure whatever platform you're on, you leave me a question at hashtag AskCarrie and we'll be doing this. So, uh, so excited. Next episode, Mark Batterson. And thanks so much for listening. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.